Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. And it seemed as though whether you were black, brown, gay or straight, a teacher, an educator, a politician or a musician, somewhere along in your life, you were deleting the code of your life. You were giving up before you even tried. And so I got this incredible reception to this idea and I wanted to go deeper to say, you know, is there something about the fact that we've been socialized to be perfect? How did it start? When did it start? And then can we unlearn it? And that's really kind of the birth of my book, Brave Not Perfect. Hi guys, and welcome back to A Millennial Mind. Today, I'm really excited and grateful to introduce you to my next guest. She's the founder and CEO of the international non-for-profit organization, Girls Who Code, the author of the international bestseller, Brave Not Perfect, and the New York Times bestseller, Learn to Code and Change the World. Her TED talk, Teach Girls Bravery, Not Perfection, has had more than 5 million views and has sparked a worldwide conversation about how we're raising our girls. She is the host of the award-winning podcast, Brave Not Perfect. So without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce you to Rashma Sajani. Hi, Shivani. I'm so happy to be on your podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I mean, it's so crazy because when I share any of your stuff or I tell people that you're my auntie, people are always so surprised that I know you. (laughs) (laughs) It's like really my claim to fame. And it's so funny because we only met a year ago. You know, you really are what you say you are. Just for everyone listening, I met Rashma a year ago after like 20 years. I'd only seen her when I was like six or seven. And when I met her, I met her at a lunch and automatically within 10 minutes, she invited me to her book launch, which was that evening. And you had this amazing party with all these amazing journalists and activists and entrepreneurs there. And within like seconds of me walking in the door, I remember you introduced me to your publisher and you were like, this is my niece, Shivani. She's going to write a book. You just believed in me from like the second you saw me. I don't know. We just had such a great conversation, but how you really pushed me, I can really see how you've done so well with Girls Who Code. Well, I feel like you're like the little sister I never had. And I see so much (laughs) talent in you and I feel grateful just to be like part of your kitchen cabinet of people in your sisterhood of people in your life who are hopefully going to continue to support you and see you do amazing things. So oh, amazing. So let's start. I'm sure everyone is really keen to hear everything we're going to talk about today. So let's talk about your book, Brave Not Perfect, and a bit about the title. How did you come up with this title? 
I think in 2016, I did a TED Talk and it was called Teaching Girls Bravery, Not Perfection. When you're a public speaker, like going to TED is like the Super Bowl, right? It's like you get one (laughs) chance to tell the world like your truth. And pretty much since I was like 13, I've been working on issues on women and girls. And as the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code, like I'm literally surrounded by girls. And Mm -hmm. as a feminist, it feels as though like we just haven't made much progress, whether it's, you know, in Congress or in Wall Street or in Main Street, it still seems like women are falling behind our potential. And there was a story that every Girls Who Code teacher would tell me about our students. So when you come to Girls Who Code program, most girls have never learned how to code before. And a lot of them think like, I'm just not good at this, right? I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. Like it's for somebody else. And teachers would tell me about this story, which I call my undo story, about how when students are first coming to our program and they're learning how to code, they'll write a line of code and then they'll call their teacher over and they'll say, I don't know what code to write. And the teacher will look at her computer screen and she'll see that it's a blank text editor. And she'll see that the student actually wrote code, but then she deleted it. So instead of saying to her teacher, hey, I wrote this, I think maybe there's a semicolon missing or something's wrong with it, she'd rather show nothing at all. I tell this story on the TED stage and I am inundated with messages from people saying, I do this too, right? Mom saying, I do this too. My daughter does this too. And it seemed as though whether you were black, brown, gay or straight, a teacher, an educator, a politician or a musician, somewhere along in your life, you were deleting the code of your life. You were giving up before you even try. And so I got this incredible reception to this idea and I wanted to go deeper to say, you know, is there something about the fact that we've been socialized to be perfect? How did it start? When did it start? And then can we unlearn it? And that's really kind of the birth of my book, Brave Not Perfect. And, you know, the birth of this like bravery movement that I've been on, you know, for over a year now to really talk about unlearning perfectionism and orientating ourselves to be brave. Because like, I believe that when you do that, you not only will reach your greatest potential, but you'll have more joy in your life that story, every time I hear it, it's so powerful in the things that you say. And I think one of the things I want to talk about is why have women or girls been socialized to think that they should be perfect? Mm, Such a great question. I mean, I think it starts like I always say, like go to any playground and you'll see boys like climb to the top of the monkey bars and jump head first. Girls are like, you know, we tell them, you know, be careful, honey, you know, don't swing too high you're dressed dirty. Let me clean you up. You know, we literally wrap our girls up with bubble wrap and it starts in the name of protection. I think that like when our girls are little, for some reason, we feel like we have to physically protect them. I had a friend who just had a baby and her daughter was learning how to walk and she was walking behind her and she was saying to her, you know, be careful, honey, be careful, honey. And then she's like, and then your face flashed in my head and I started being like, go baby, go baby. But it's like this natural (laughs) instinct Yes. That we have to like protect them from harm. But with our boys, I mean, you have a brother, right? So you probably yeah. will give it firsthand experiences. But there's something Definitely. about our boys and us feeling like we just want to toughen them up and we want to make them into men and we want to make them strong. And we don't have that feeling with our girls. Why is this an issue? So, you know, women are used to the coddling and we're used to these affirmations. Generally, I would say you can't say this about all parents and we can't say this about everyone, but generally a lot of women are used to more why is this an issue? Why is this a bad thing? Yeah. I mean, because I think the physical protection then extends into psychological protection. 
So like mm. around eight or nine, if you go to a gymnastics class and you're not good at it and you come home and you're crying and you're upset, what do your parents do? They pull you out of gymnastics and they put you into dance. They want you to feel good. They don't want you to feel rejection or failure. But again, with our boys, we continue to allow them to be in places and spaces to feel failure and to feel rejection. And so that psychological protection against failure and rejection, and also combined with the fact of affirmation, we know mm. when we're very young, when we've made people happy, right? When we've been a good girl, we get addicted to that affirmation. And so we start gravitating towards things that we're good at, or we start silencing ourselves and we don't tell people what we really think because we don't want to hurt their feelings. I did 150 talks last year, and I often start my talks with this video about lemonade. And it's a video done like in the 1980s by mm -hmm. these psychologists. And they spike lemonade with salt instead of sugar. And they give it to a group of boys that are around eight in a group of girls. And when the boys start drinking the lemonade, they immediately spit it out. This is gross. Yuck. What do the girls do? They chug it and they're like, this is delicious. Wow. Can I have a glass of water, right? So it's like, we're literally chugging the salty lemonade of life, right? I completely agree. I mean, just from my own experience, there's such a difference between the way my brother responds to my parents and the way I respond to my parents. So I'll just give you an example of when we were younger. I was 18 and I wanted to go clubbing and my parents were like, okay, Shivani, you have to be back by 12 o'clock. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll be back by 12. I knew the club opened at 11.30 and I would only be, get half an hour there. But still, I was like, I'll be back. My brother was like, absolutely not. There's no way. And I remember saying to him, don't you care what mom and dad think? And he was like, I do care, but I'm not going to let them control my life. This is an unreasonable request. I don't think I'm asking for anything that's that terrible. And I remember thinking in that moment, oh God, no. And all that kept being reinforced in my head was, well, Akshay's a boy and boys are like that. And all the things that like you've just said, the positive affirmations of you're so good, you know, you don't answer back. All these things that then didn't encourage me to challenge certain situations in which my brother automatically would. And I was praised for that. It was something that was a good thing. And I think as I started to realize these things, I'm now the opposite person <laughs> and I challenge everything. And then my parents are always like, for God's sake, can you just not, can you just stop challenging absolutely everything? But it's really something you have to practice. And, it's, and I completely agree with you. It's something that's really ingrained in us from such a young age. So I mean, we've been shifting our behavior, shrinking ourselves, like holding back. We literally are so addicted in many ways to being a good girl. I always say it's like, we're not crazy for behaving that way. It's like mm -hmm. the world actually doesn't reward girls or women who don't fall into line. And so it becomes this, this pattern that we're really never taught to kind of break out of, right? We're never really taught to like, tell me what you think. You know what I mean? Make your argument, right? Show up late. Like, you know what I mean? Fall out of line because that's not seen as good behavior. And I just think it has a lot of real consequences, you know, not just for our career potential, but for our own like psychological happiness. I think we forget like, you know, what do I love? What do I want to do? How do I want to live my life? And we stay in relationships we should get out of. We stay in jobs that we're done with, all in the pursuit, right, of like not rocking the boat. One thing I want to ask you about, we talk about women and our chase for perfection. 
But don't you think boys face the same issue? So I think the narrative for them is different, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the narrative for men is to be really successful and earn loads of money and be the breadwinner of the family. And they have to support their wife and kids because that's their role. Don't you think that they have a different set of guidelines to be perfect? I absolutely think that's right. I mean, I think that boys are also taught to not express themselves, right? To not show vulnerability, to constantly demonstrate strength. And I think that that's hurting them too. You know, one of the ways that I think I really saw this kind of play out is in the Me Too movement. You know, I had a lot of guy friends that I would talk to afterwards and I would say, you know, what do you do when you're in a situation, whether you're at a bar or in a meeting or in a conference room, and someone says something that's inappropriate to a woman that you too are like, oh, that's not cool. And most men would say to me, well, I would just shift the conversation, right? So they too want to be like liked, right? And they don't want to rock the boat and they want to kind of go along to get along. And I think in many ways, like affecting them as allies as well. So I think it goes... You know, I think it goes both ways. I just think it shows up differently and it has different consequences in terms of like male and females kind of economic potential. Mm, I completely agree. And, you know, I just want to touch on something you've said there. I want to talk about needing to be liked. So caring what other people think is a deeply ingrained habit and something I have to work out every day. So the biggest thing I remember from my childhood, and you talk about this in your book, is when you say women are told to be well-behaved and polite and well-liked. And we grow up being really fearful of challenging people because we don't want to be challenged ourselves. And I think that that's why it's really hard for women to take constructive criticism when they're older, because they have always been told all these negative things. Mm -hmm. And instead of it turning into resilience, we look at these things as a job in our character, right? Yeah. For so long, I used to struggle to ask for feedback. I used to feel so fearful of asking people of what I've done wrong or what I could do better. And this is not in the sense of when somebody messages you and says, can I give you feedback? Because when they're messaging you, you know it's going to be someone you know, you're comfortable with and that they want to help you. So for this podcast, loads of people have messaged me and I've always been so willing to hear what they've got to say because they're my friends and I know they want me to do well. However, when it comes to my like six month review at work and they're like, ask everyone for feedback, I get this knot in my stomach and I'm so fearful about what people are going to say. Yeah. And I haven't even got an opportunity to hear what they have to say. And I'm so scared of that. And I think that comes from what you talk about in your book, that it's we're constantly being told since we're young, all these small things. And so it's really difficult to look at these things as a positive and a way to change when you've always been criticized for these small things. And you've probably managed them as a disappointment. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things in what you just said. I mean, I think the first thing is like, how does that start? You know, people would always say when they got my book, oh, I'm going to have my daughter read this. And I'm like, no, you read this because so much of this behavior is passed on. And you probably remember, you know, around eight or nine when your mom and her friends were talking and they were either talking about other women or talking about themselves. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, is my butt look too big in these jeans? Or am I having a wrinkle on my face? Or do I look old? Like we're constantly judging ourselves, right? And so we know that like we're on display, right? In many ways in our relationships with other women, I'm so amazed, you know, you met my niece, Maya. One yes. of the things that like blows me away about her is she will literally look in the mirror and be like, I'm beautiful, right? She yes. has every curve, every angle, every imperfection. And I was like, you know, I don't even think I've actually ever really looked at myself like that because there's a running tape in my head about everything that's wrong with me. 
And I don't think men suffer from that, like in the same way. Right. And so, you know, one of the stories I tell in my book is about how, you know, if you go to like a sixth grade award ceremony, right. When the guys like get their certificate, they're like, you know, walking up, doing the dab, you know what I mean? Like boasting hands up in the air. Mm -hmm. And what are, what are the girls doing? They're like putting their hands on their faces being like, who me? Like we're told being humble, being modest, not calling attention to yourself is the way that women should behave. And so that is another kind of complication in the fact that we don't really celebrate ourselves, you know, in like the things that we do and it's never feels like it's enough. We talk so much about people pleasing and our obsession with being liked. Why do you think that it's generally more women that are obsessed with people pleasing than men? You know, I think, again, it's the way that we are raised because we're raised to be good girls and to care about what other people think about us. It's something that actually sticks with us. And I just Mm -hmm. think that men are socialized in that same way. One of the things I feel like I'm really hopeful for in this moment is I do think that that's shifting. You know, you have people like Cardi B, like no F's given, like you you Mm -hmm. kind of have this surgence of like influencers and people who are just like kind of showing again the authenticity of their life. And we can totally have a conversation about social media, about whether, you know, it's better or it's worse. You know, one of the things you talk about, which is so important, is no one actually cares as much as you think they do. And you talk about this in your podcast. If you haven't checked out Russian's podcast, guys, you 100% should go right now and download it. It's called Brave Not Perfect. And one of the things you talk about when you speak to this professor of social psychology at Cornell University is about the spotlight effect. And in that, she says, we tend to exaggerate the extent to how negatively people are judging our flaws and our faults. Mm -hmm. It's so true. I was interviewing a psychologist for one of my podcasts and she said, you know, we can make the slightest mistake like in an email, right? And have a title Mm -hmm. in it or, you know, show up and, you know, our makeup is flawed or we look a little off and we think everybody is looking at us. Everyone is talking about us. But the reality is, is people are so focused on themselves that they're not thinking about you. And so we overstate or overemphasize what we think others are thinking and others are like focused on us. Mm-hmm. So many people are afraid to fail or afraid to take a risk or afraid to try because if they think that it doesn't work out, like they'll be a laughing stock. I mean, I remember the day after I lost my election, I remember thinking, I don't want to open up Twitter because everybody is going to be making fun of me. You know, every time I walked into a party or an event and people were talking, I thought they were talking about me and my big failure and my big loss. And so we think that like we're the center of this conversation and we're just not. And I think that not wanting to be like the center of a conversation about people judging you or talking about you is why a lot of women just don't even bother, right? To put themselves out there because they don't want to be like the laughing stock of life. Absolutely. And I think what you talk about here is our, our quest for perfection really limits us. So why do we need to be brave? What's the importance of this? So I think that bravery is like the antidote to perfection, right? You know, when we think about bravery, people think about bravery as like saving a baby from a burning building or doing something super grandiose, right? I think bravery is more about like the everyday acts of bravery, the little things that you can do to like stand up for yourself or like shift behavior. For example, I mean, so many people I talk to, if you, let's say you're walking down the street in London 
and somebody yeah. bumps into you, your immediate reaction is to be like, oh, I'm sorry, right? Yeah. You know, if I'm standing in a line and somebody cuts in front of me, I sometimes don't say anything, but I'm so mad at myself for not sticking mm. up for myself. And so there's these like little everyday cuts, I would say, or cuts by a thousand cuts. And, you know, another example of this is like being in a meeting or in a talk and it's time for questions and you don't want to raise your hand because you don't want to seem stupid. And then like the person next to you does it. And so what I really am on a mission of is like just teaching like everyday bravery, the small things that you can do that are actually really big things. Because I think like bravery is like a muscle. We were talking earlier about this idea of like getting feedback. You know, I really admire athletes because I think so many of them like sit on the edge of their ability and critical feedback and having someone tell them, do it again do it again. It's never personal. But the thing is, is like you can never really become great unless you have feedback. And if feedback always feels personal to you, you're never going to solicit it. You're never going to ask for it and you're never going to grow. So true. And I love this because you talk about this in your book where you say there's a difference between excellence and perfection. And that difference is like love and obsession. Mm-hmm. One is liberating and one is unhealthy. And I think from what you're saying, some people can say, well, I want to be great. and I want to be excellent. And you can be, you just don't need to be perfect. Right. That process is completely different. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, I ask people like, when's the last time you did something because you wanted to prove to yourself that you could do it and not because you were going to get something out of it? You know, I have a friend that was an Olympic diver and she was trying out for the Olympics and it was like the last shot that she was going to get to go. And she goes up and she does her dive and it falls flat, right? Pool's clearing out. Her boyfriend's standing there. He's tapping his feet like, come on, let's go. And she was like, you know what? Give me a minute. And she goes up and she does like the perfect dive and did that for herself, right? To prove to herself that she can. And, you know, one of the things, Shivani, I think that's so interesting. We've talked about this is like, you know, we live in this very success driven culture. Like you're just trying to another notch on your belt, another like on your Instagram post, whatever it is. Right. And those things actually don't have a lot of meaning for us anymore. But when things don't work out for us, they sit with us. And I'm always like, you know, why is that? Like, why do we put so much focus on the things that don't work out, but then the things that do work out, we're like onto the next. And a lot of that just has to do with perfectionism. And when you're pursuing excellence, like that is for you. It's about the journey. It's not about the destination. It's not about getting that thing or that award or that notch or that recognition. You know, it's about putting in your hard work and that paying off for you. And I think many of us, we don't live life for ourselves. You know, we live life for affirmation from others. And I think some of the best people in their fields, the only person that they're competing against is themselves. That's so true. I, I can't agree with that more. I think especially growing up as an Indian girl and the pressure, you're always concerned with what your parents are going to think and what your cousins are going to think and what your family are going to think. It's never about what do you want? What are you good at? What's your strength? And that's something that I'm trying to change now and trying to focus on is what's my passion and what do I want? And so one thing I want to talk about, and we've just talked about this as well, is as millennials, I think we struggle more as a generation than the previous generation. And that's because I think our quest for perfection is really never ending. 
you know, the use of social media has highlighted this and you just see people succeed. So our need to people please has increased because as millennials, we're criticized for our need for instant gratification, right? We want to please people all the time. And the best way to do that is to upload something on our feed. So you want to like say, tell everyone that you're doing really well at work, go to a great restaurant. You want to tell everyone you're earning a lot of money, go on holiday all the time and just post this on your feed. And that's how you're getting this instant gratification, like you said, from the like, you know, the comments from anything that kind of fuels that. And I think this really applies to men too. And what I want to ask is, how do you start to move away from this? Because mm. I think people are now starting to come around the idea that Instagram is a highlight reel. You know, people don't share a lot of stuff on the internet about their failures and how they got there and their journey, which is something I really think we should encourage and something that you do. And we can come to that in a minute. But how do you think we start to talk about our failures? How do we become more comfortable? You know, I think that thing for your generation that was different from mine is like you have such visibility to the things that other people are doing and the things that other people are doing are their fake lives on social. Like I can't yes. tell you how many people are like, you look at their Instagram feed and there's all these happy photos, but they're going through a divorce or like, you know, something incredibly traumatic is happening, but you wouldn't know it from looking at their exterior lives. And so we have so much fear of missing out, right? We have so much FOMO. We have so much like judgment. Our life is not as good as that person's life, that it has created an enormous amount of anxiety and depression. So what I think it starts like, you know, getting off, right? Getting like trying to detach yourself, right? From mm. our addiction to, to, to social media and to being online. I think it, if you are, you know, tell the truth, whether you have five followers or 5,000 followers, like start yes. changing and shifting the behavior. I think this is the silver lining of this health crisis because in many ways, so many of us right now don't really have anything to share or anything to compare to. You know, I don't think that this is the moment where you make big decisions in your life. You're kind of letting time pass. And the best thing that you can do for yourself in this moment is to really go deep within and to start like unwinding some of the things that you've been taught, some of the ways that you've been raised, you know, some of the damage you've done to yourself, right? Start feeling more precious about life and like, what do you want? And who do you want to be when you come out of this? I completely agree. And I think one thing that people need to do to make that movement is to take ownership. You need to take ownership that this is in your control. And I read a book recently, reread this book because it's my favorite book ever, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Have you read it? Great book. Such a great book. And in that, Stephen Covey says, you have to be proactive. The word personality is you have the ability to change the person you are. So you choose how you think, you choose how you respond to situations, and you are in control of the person that you can become. And so there's so many ways and we can start to be brave. And I think the first way is to really recognize, like you said, who we are and where we want to get to. Yeah. But what are the other ways you would say we should start to be brave? Yeah. And how can we do that? So I think one of the lessons in that book is to really, you know, to invite rejection. You know, when I was growing up and I wouldn't get into college or law school or grad school or a job or, you know, got rejected from McKinsey or Accenture or whatever that was, I would literally keep those rejection letters and I put them all in a suitcase and I would collect my rejection letters. And I still do that. And I, I would post them up right all around my mirror. And I post them up now on my refrigerator, but it's like a reminder. It almost like immunizes myself from failure. It helps me not make it feel like it's personal. And it's a reminder that like, I can't let anybody tell me that I can't do something. 
So, you know, one hack is to surround yourself with rejection. I think the second hack that I have about failure is about how do you let it not break you? People always ask me, like, how do you get over something? One of the things that I've done, and I did this after I lost my my first race, was like, okay, I'm going to give myself three weeks, right, to drink a lot of margaritas, to ask over <laughs> and over again, right, why did that happen? What, you know, to bother Nahal, my husband, who was then my boyfriend, you know, and to feel sorry for myself. But after those three weeks, I was done. I was not going to think about it. I was not going to keep like, you know what I mean? Overanalyzing it. Yeah. And I was going to move forward, but I gave myself like that grieving period and then I moved on. And so I think that you have to kind of give yourself this finite period to grieve and then to move forward. And that has really helped me in not letting kind of um, failure and rejection actually really break me, but it's work. Yeah. You know, absolutely, it's, it's work. And I think the thing is, is like, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, you're either born brave or you're not, or yes. I started practice and then I'm brave. And it's an ongoing process. It is an ongoing process, just like anything in life is that you're trying to shift. I completely agree. And I think this is where you say bravery is a muscle. You know, it's like the gym. You're not going to get results from the first time, the third time or the fifth time two months, three months down the line, you're really going to see those results. So when we have these difficult conversations and we try to be brave, I think, especially with what's going on at the moment, it's more important than ever to be brave. And for me, that means, you know, standing up for what you believe in, having really difficult conversations, calling people out. Like you said, when you say when men are in a conference room and they hear something that's quite offensive, generally as humans and we've all done it I've been guilty of it in the past and that's when I feel really bad is when you don't stand up for someone or you don't stand up for something you believe in and you just let it pass and it's about encouraging healthy debate and having those difficult conversations that will also encourage other people to be brave around you too yeah it's right and it's also just look I think the thing is is we sit as humans I think we sit with a lot of regret and envy the woulda shoulda couldas and I think those are the things that really eat you up inside you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight with like a family member or like you're holding on yeah. to a feeling and you just, especially I think in our culture, like we yeah. are not very open with our emotions. And I think it's that bottling of stuff that makes you feel like sick, right? And that makes yeah. you feel like regret about and feeling stuck in your life because you have a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda's. It's so true. And you're so scared to have these conversations, whether that's with your family or with someone at work or with a friend, but actually taking that first step in being brave. And I think it really is a habit. So once you start, you almost can't stop. Yeah, you, you can. I think it's a way of life. But listen, I don't know if that means, I think the two things that I've learned is that every time I, let's just say I speak out on something, the immediate feeling that you have, you know, it's not an adrenaline rush, meaning it's not, you don't know, you actually feel kind of scared. And I think that is like a reality that we actually need to be honest about that. It doesn't always feel good to be brave. And I think the second thing is, is like, you don't have to be brave all the time. Like there are moments where I should have said something and I didn't. And then I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give myself grace. And I think that that's important too. Absolutely. And I think one thing I love about you is that you're always showing your failures. So on Instagram, you post every Friday and it's called Friday Friday. And it's so important that you share the side of you because you're showing, you're being vulnerable and you're showing the, the things that you're not good at and the things that you're working on. And I think that's something we really need to encourage. 
because I know when I'm reading your posts about managing two kids and running a business and having a husband and being a wife, I'm like, I can understand you. And I'm not any of those things. I think it's helped people. And I think people have started doing it themselves. And look, I remember when I was like 18, 19, and I would sit in these panels and I would hear these women and it seemed like everything just was so easy for them. Well, that's not me. And I don't want people who may follow me to feel like Reshma's life is just so great and easy. I'm having a really hard time in quarantine. You know, CEO of a nonprofit in the middle of a global pandemic, having two young kids, like I am doing laundry between meetings and making breakfast and like making sure the dog doesn't bark in the middle of my Zoom call or podcast, right? And so I don't want to make it seem like I'm having an easy time and everybody's having a shit time. And so I think it's really important to be honest about where you're at, because I think that's where people find and face a lot of anxiety is by looking at other people's lives and being like, why am I feeling this way? Why is this happening to me and to not everybody else? I completely agree. And I think when you share exactly what you said, you share the mess behind the scenes, people automatically relate to you. And you don't even realize how many people you're helping within your reach, because someone can just look at your profile and think, wow, she doesn't have it all under control, but she's still going, you know, she's still continuing to do this. And I can still do this. And I don't have to give up. And I know I've definitely felt so overwhelmed, looking at people's Instagrams, whether it's they're in the perfect relationship, or they're on the perfect holiday, or whether they've got the perfect picture. And I know we shouldn't be controlled by these things. I know that we shouldn't look at these things and and feel overwhelmed by them. However, it's still doesn't stop me from feeling overwhelmed and from feeling anxious looking at everybody's perfect lives so I think that's something that's really powerful and I love that you do that and if and anyone who's listening I really recommend you follow Rashma because there's so much I learn every Friday from you I'm like wow I really can relate to that even though it's not going on in my life at all so just before we close I just want to ask you so we want to encourage people to be brave and not perfect what can women do and what can men do to be braver Mm. So I think for women, you know, the first thing I would say is you can't be brave if you're tired. You'll never pick the braver choice if you're tired. And so we have to get rest. You know, I really try to get eight hours of sleep every night. I start my morning and I don't touch my phone for an hour. I get the dog up, I hang out with the baby, and then I work out. And I really try to, you know, take that break of like entering my life until I feel a little shanti, right? I think the other thing is part of that is I've always done this practice or I did after I had my first kid of like picking one thing for me and doing it at a time that's inconvenient for everybody else. So, you know, I work out in the morning. My husband loves to sleep in and I'm a morning person, but I don't wait till he's about to get up. I like basically schedule my workout right in the middle of his like, you know, restful sleep because if you're constantly adjusting your life to people around you, nothing will shift. And I think that that's really important. The second thing for women too, is like this idea of just starting, you know, you and I talked about that. Like when I started Girls Who Code, I was literally like, oh, Girls Who Code, that's a great idea. I was not a nonprofit leader. I was not even a coder. I had just come off the biggest public failure of my life. I had no business starting a business about something that I didn't know anything about, but I did. I just started and it took me a couple of years. It wasn't an instant, you know, overnight success, but there's something about taking a step and then another step. And then you're like, oh my God, I've taken too many steps that I just have to do it. That's how they begin. And I think for men, you know, I always say it's never been a better time to be a feminist because I don't think we've ever had more male allies. 
you know, I think we live amongst men who want a better world as well. And so, you know, one of my advices for men in supporting women and just also like having a shift in their own lives, I always say, you know, men in meetings talk 80% more than women. And so oftentimes the reason why we're not participating is because we can't get a word in. And so I always say to men, you know what, take a beat, just one beat, see what other hands raised and then talk. I think that the other thing I would say is, you know, express vulnerability. Like one of the coolest things about my bravery movement is the amount of men who have raised their hands and said, you know what, I have that voice in my head too that tells me that I'm not good enough. I was scared about this. I cried in a meeting. You know, it's like having men actually share their pain, their vulnerability, their insecurities has been so powerful. And for them, that's bravery because men aren't rewarded in society for being vulnerable. Wow, that's so powerful. And I think something that's really going to resonate with so many of the listeners today. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, this has just flown by. I don't know how we've spoken for so long. I feel like I have so much more to talk to you about and I really can't wait to have you on again. So thank you so much for coming. I am definitely coming on again. Thank you for having me. And I'm so happy that you launched this podcast. And I think you're such an example about like when you have something that you're passionate about, something you know, like, you know, we say in, you know, in, you know, Hinduism, like, what's your dharma? You know, what yeah. are you on this earth to do? And I think right now it's like the world is so broken that we just need more voices, you know, to yeah. heal and to give people inspiration and hope. So thank you for doing that. No, thank you. For those of you who don't know much about Rashma, Google her name. There's so much about her. Follow her on Instagram and listen to her podcast, Brave Not Perfect. And I'm sure you'll learn something every single time you listen to it. everyone and thanks so much for tuning in and listening to my podcast i would love to hear your feedback so please email a millennial mind at hotmail.com with any feedback or questions around the show don't forget to like subscribe rate and share with your family and friends i look forward to hearing from you and i'll catch you in the next podcast next week